Prime. Happy Friday. Wow, what a busy, busy news day we have for you. Senator Lindsey Graham checks in with us today. We have our pollsters today, and Congressman Andy Gibbs will check in. He is the new chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. By the way, following in the footsteps of two of the greatest of all time, Mark Meadows and Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, not an easy act to follow. Um, I agree with Michael Goodwin. He writes in the New York Post, great writer, and I agree with him. The winner of last night's Democratic debate was Donald Trump. And I'm not, look, I'm not the only one that thinks this. Had a lot of friends of mine waiting and watching, and, uh, you know, we, we got Joe Biden's incoherence. I mean, it just got worse and worse, and we'll go over all the details of all of this in the course of the program today. You know, never shutting up. He, he, he was interrupting himself and he digresses and digresses and digresses. Now, I've done that in my career. I really try and focus and finish a thought. I don't always succeed, but I understand it. Um, I didn't think either Warren or Bernie had any big breakout night. We're going to go over all of the money here in a second. Um, I, I think Warren was kind of staying in her little comfort zone, hoping that she didn't get beat up on, which... You know, at radical calls for everything, overthrowing everything, giving every giving Washington more power over vir- virtually every aspect of your life. Now, remember, you can't see this debate in a prism either because Nancy Pelosi was so pissed off yesterday. Remember, she was pissed off last week that Donald Trump got the money for the wall with his emergency action that many of you conservatives said he's given up. I told you he's not given up. I told you he switched strategies and now the money's been reallocated and she's angry. She couldn't stop him. Now she's even angrier that people like Nadler and Schiff are obsessed with catering to this extreme base. Look, the, the, the conspiracy theory, rage, psychotic, hate Trump, impeach under any circumstances. They, they can't even identify a reason anymore to impeach him, but they're going to try. They're going to open proceedings anyway. Wide open proceedings until we can find something that sticks. We'll keep throwing up wet paper against the bathroom wall. Hopefully it'll stick. Anyway, so she has this press conference yesterday, then has to abruptly pull the plug on her own press conference because she's really ticked off that, well, Nadler is now moving forward with uh, impeachment over what nobody knows. Anyway, and she's mad that everyone say, well, we need for him to succeed. That would need your approval. Are you approving this? And then she said the following. Are you uncomfortable with the term impeachment inquiry? Is there another term we should be using? I'm not. I, <laughs> Thank you. Is okay. it the right term? Speaker, put one on guns. We are on our path. Where it takes us is where the, we will follow the facts. That's what it is. Why don't we spend some time going over to see Mitch McConnell and asking him why he doesn't want to save lives? Why he will let every day go by where at least 100 people, large number of them children or teenagers, die from gun violence. Why is it that you're hung up on a word over here when lives are at stake over there? Thank you all. Why are you hung up on the word impeachment when we got we, we want to talk about taking away your gun rights? And we're going to go, go see Mitch McConnell. Why doesn't he want to save children's lives? Oh, okay. That's what that's what Mitch McConnell's advocating. Another insanity. Racist, sexist, misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic. They want dirty air, water. They don't want to save children's lives. Add that. 
And they also want, uh, let's see, they want children to die. They want granny and grandpa to eat dog food and cat food before they die, and before Paul Ryan pushes over, them over a cliff. It's the same garbage. Well, I think you could throw the question right back on Pelosi. Well, if it's a, if the issue is a manufactured crisis at the border, but you didn't think so back in Obama's second term, well, 90% of the heroin from that from in this country leading to nearly 300 deaths a week you know when when are you going to save lives why don't you help the president build the barrier to stop the drug trafficking corridors into this country that 90 percent of heroin that crosses that border into our country the fentanyl that comes into the country why don't you throw it right back on her but you can see the divide this is a train wreck what the democrats are offering now well you know we could focus in even fake news cnn You know, called out Biden's lie on immigration. We didn't lock people up in cages. Oh, I'll show on TV tonight. Yeah, you did. You did. You know, or Biden saying, and we didn't separate families. Yeah, you actually did. And it's not just me saying it. Well, we've got the videos of it. Not only were the kids in cages, but they built those cages. They paid for them. Maybe his memory problems have gotten in the way of that, which became an issue when Julian Castro question Biden's mental acuity. Listen to this. Barack Obama's vision was not to leave 10 million people uncovered. He wanted every single person in this country covered. My plan would do that. Your plan would not. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. in. Are you you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting you said just two minutes ago i mean i can't believe that you said two minutes ago that they had to buy in and now you're saying they don't have to buy you're forgetting that I said anyone i mean look grandmother who look, has no money we need she a would, healthcare system you're automatically, automatically enrolls people regardless of whether they choose to opt in or not if you lose your job for instance his his health care plan would not automatically enroll you. You would have to opt in. My health care plan would. That's a big difference. I'm fulfilling, fulfilling the legacy of Barack Obama, and you're not. I'll be surprised to him. All right. Now, what's fascinating is the Epic Times pointed out in an interview Cory Booker gave after the debate, there's a lot of concern about Joe Biden's ability to carry the ball all the way across the end line without fumbling. And I think that Castro had some really legitimate concerns about can he be someone in a long, grueling campaign and get the ball over the line? He has every right to call that out. Okay, here we go. They're they're just destroying each other. And then, you know, Beto's Democratic, you know, Beto's call for gun confiscation. Okay, let's see how well that's going to work out. You know, him bragging, I'll take your AK-47. Listen. You said, quote, Americans who own AR-15s and AK-47s will have to sell them to the government, all of them. You know, the critics call this confiscation. Are you proposing taking away their guns and how would this work? I am. If it's a weapon that was designed to kill people on a battlefield, if the high impact, high velocity round, when it hits your body, shreds everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that so that you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up and kill one of our soldiers. When we see that being used against children, and in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15, and that mother All right, watched we got her the point. Yeah, death. he wants to confiscate guns. Now, Senator Chris Coons actually said, yeah, that's going to haunt the Democratic Party for years to come. Yeah, I think he's pretty right about that. 
And about one interesting side note, Obama had warned Obama, if you try to take my guns, you're going to have a problem. This is in the Washington Examiner. Biden tempered fears that Obama was in favor of gun control. Look, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Now, as we go through all of this in, in this hour and throughout the program tonight, I want you to keep a couple of numbers in your head because it's important that we understand what it is that they're proposing, how insane it is, and how much it's going to cost us. The new Green Deal. Well, for example, we've told you about the study up to ninety four point four trillion dollars. Now, the American Action Forum, they put that forward. Now, if you look at some of the estimates, now think about ninety four trillion dollars or over six hundred thousand dollars per household. That's over a 10 year period. Now, that is unsustainable, like Bernie's sixteen trillion dollar investment. Into I love they say investors. It's not when we don't need to worry about the cost. It's the investment. It is to get rid of oil, gas, guarantee everything's free. I won't give you the list, and eventually get rid of cows and planes. Guaranteed. I don't know why anybody would have any faith in that. If you want to break it down into the actual costs, again, ninety-four point four trillion dollars. John Barrasso, chairman of the Senate Committee on Environmental Pub- Public Works. You know, rightly pointing out that on the upper end, every American household, every household would have to pay 65 grand a year to foot that bill. Total price tag, 93 trillion. All right, he's a little lower. Over 10 years, 93 trillion. That is roughly four times the value of every single Fortune 500 company combined. You know, okay, that's not going to work. Uh, and nobody points out the first year of the Trump administration, emissions were reduced by 2.7%, but we're leading the world in carbon emissions reductions. Anyway, so the green housing, yeah, that's 1.6 trillion housing now to 4.2 trillion. Jobs guarantee 6.8 trillion to 44.6 children, uh, tr- tr- children, trillion. We won't have any children. We don't maybe need to rethink that. We might get penalized in the future. Net zero emissions transportation system between 1.3 and 2.7 trillion. Low carbon electricity grid, 5.4 trillion. And you ask people like Ocasio-Cortez, what do you mean talk about the cost? You know, people, you know, what do you mean the cost? We can't afford not to. Okay, the planet can't sustain it, says Cory Booker. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez recently suggesting people should stop reproducing because of climate change because it's going to end the world in 12 years. Booker saying the planet can't sustain people eating meat. Kamala Harris, that the new green deal is practical. It's not about a cost. It's about an investment. Remember, no taxes are ever a tax. They're just investments. Okay. You add up all the money in taxes. We're going to have the wealth tax. And then we're going to have, oh yeah, the retrofit of your house tax. And then we're going to have every other tax in between. And I'll get ready. We get to Elizabeth Warren's proposal. Well, you're looking at $94 trillion in this insanity. Medicare for all, okay, 10 years, it would be about $1.4 trillion per year. And, you know, Bernie's plan would be 2.2% income tax on top of the income tax we have now. But remember, they want a 70% top marginal rate, 90% corporate rate. Well, what's going to happen? People are going to lose. You know, they made the same estimates about Oh, yeah. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I forgot to say this. She wants to pay for the, her new Green Deal by essentially printing more money. Printing more money. Oh, is that what? That's all it's going to take? We'll just print it. 
We don't need to have any valuation behind it, but we'll print it. We'll print it again and again and again. Um, so keep these numbers in mind. I actually can't believe I'm agreeing with Joy Behar saying that she'd like to see Elizabeth Warren put Bernie in a headlock, that she's bored by these debates. It's getting boring to her. Well, we're going to go over Biden. We're going to go over Elizabeth Warren's uh, plans, and we're going to go over the costs, and we're going to go over Beto, Bozo, Robert Francis, and Bernie, the angry socialist, and the rest of the pack. And, oh, I love, what what's his name? Andrew Yang. Yeah, he's offering to bribe people. Go to my website. I'll give you $1,000 a month. Just vote for me. Oh, and then we got Buddha Judge. What happened to Buddha Judge? The great mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Right, I guess the world is fixated on what Felicity Huffman. What show was she in again? I forget. Uh, was that Desperate Housewives? That's what it was. Okay. And I guess she spent $15,000. Somebody altered the SAT score or whatever, something like that. Well, I think she's going to do a lot better than Lori McLaughlin, who spent a half a million dollars and, you know, put her kid's face on the face of uh, on the on athletes' bodies. That's not going to work out too well, I don't think, in the end, and not admitting anything. Um, so here we are with a group of radical extremists that are now wanting to be the Democratic nominee and think they can beat Donald Trump. Now, we're going to go. I just gave you the cost, $94 trillion. That's what it could, that's going to cost for the new Green Deal. There's some acceptance of the new Green Deal among every one of these candidates, even their so-called moderate Joe Biden. Then you got the Medicare, $1.4 trillion a year. We cannot afford any of it. And then you got the taxes. If you start with Elizabeth Warren, okay, Elizabeth Warren is urging Social Security taxes on the wealthy on top of the wealth tax. And she vows to raise Social Security payments for 64 million Americans. Uh, she won't answer really fully and completely the middle class tax question. Well, 1% already pays 70% of the bill. You know, I think Governor Cuomo actually stumbled upon the truth. Tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich. Then the rich start leaving. And they're leaving in droves. Carl Icahn now, the latest, saying, I'm moving to Florida. And when you go down to Florida with me, we'll keep you at the same salary. You don't have to pay a state income tax. And as soon as you're a state resident of Florida, we're going to give you a big, huge, fat bonus. So if this in 70% top marginal rates, 90% corporate rates, and Joe Biden, in spite of what everyone's saying, I mean, they're trying just because he didn't have a total flop, the interpretation of the media is, oh, he made it. Well, even... Spartacus Booker and Julian Castro, they recognize, no, this guy's not with it. We don't need his medical records. I, just look. Just take a look at Sleepy Creepy Crazy Joe 30330, and you're going to discover this guy is not up for this this challenge. The, the energy needed, the passion needed to make a presidential run. I think we should have a debate on health care. I think uh, I know that the senator says she's for Bernie. Well, I'm for Barack. I think the Obamacare worked. I think the way we add to it, replace everything that's been cut, add a public option, guarantee that everyone will be able to have affordable assurance, number one. 
Number two, I think we should be in a position of taking a look at what costs are. My plan for health care costs a lot of money. It costs $740 billion. It doesn't cost $30 trillion. $3.4 trillion a year, it turns out, is twice what the entire federal budget is. That's before it exists now, without interest on the debt. How are we going to pay for it? I want to hear tonight how that's happened. So far, my distinguished friend, the senator on my left, is not, has not indicated how she pays for it. And the senator has, in fact, come forward and said how he's going to pay for it, but it gets him about halfway there. There's a lot of other things that need to be done. I have a bold plan to deal with making sure we triple the money for at-risk schools that are uh, Title I schools from, 40, from uh, 15 to $45 billion a year. But I go down the line, and each of the things we're talking about, I lay out how I can pay for it, how I can get it done, and why it's better. With regard to... Uh, with, with regard to um, uh, Iraq. The fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, I should have never voted to give Bush the authority to go in and do what he said he was going to do. The AUMF was designed, he said, to go in and get the Security Council to vote 15 to nothing to allow inspectors to go in to determine whether or not anything was being done with chemical weapons or nuclear weapons. And when that happened, he went ahead and went anyway without any of that proof. I said something that was not meant the way I said it. I said from that point on, what I was argued against in the beginning, once he started to put the troops in, was that, in fact, we were doing it the wrong way. There was no plan. We should not be engaged. We didn't have the people with us. We didn't have our alliance. We didn't have allies with us, et cetera. And it was later, when we came into office, the, Barack turned, the president turned to me and said, Joe, when they said we had a plan to get out, he turned to the whole security team. Joe will organize this, get the troops home. My son spent a year in Iraq, and I understand. It made, and we were right to get the combat troops out. The big mistake that was made, which we predicted, was that you would not have a circumstance where the Shia and the Kurds would work together to keep ISIS from coming uh, from number two. Make sure that we bring in to the help the, the, student, the, the teachers deal with the problems that come from home. The problems that come from home, we need, we have one school psychologist for every 1,500 kids in America today. It's crazy. The teachers are, and I'm married to a teacher. My deceased wife is a teacher. They have every problem coming to them. We have make sure that every single child does in fact have three, four, and five-year-olds go to school. School, not daycare, school. We bring social workers into homes and parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't, want, they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. A kid coming from a very poor school, a very poor background, will hear four million words fewer spoken by the time they get there. There's Thank so you, much. We, no, I'm, I'm going to go like the rest of them do, twice over, okay? I'm going to go like the rest of them do, four, 12 over. All right, this breaking, by the way. Let's hit the breaking news sounder. The world has been awaiting. What happens to Felicity Huffman? We've got the answer. Breaking news now. 14 days Hannity. in prison. We will be protected from Felicity Huffman. For the... Why are you laughing? Well, for the... Well, Linda's actually mad in light of the Kate Steinle recent rulings that allowed that murderer to go free. And yeah, I mean, this is a complete outrage. So we're sending this woman to, to, to prison yes, because, you know, his murderer goes free. Yeah, he's walking around. And, and the one charge that he did have for having, you know, the use of a, of a firearm as a felon, 
Ah, forget about it. We're going to lift that one, too. And they're taking that all the way to Supreme Court. He's an illegal alien in our country, murdered a young girl with her whole life ahead of her. And this woman. Yeah. okay, Yeah. She's a rich person who spent too much money trying to get her kids in the college. Good morning. This is not news. You know, it was amazing when that thing first came out in Boston and the prosecutor said, well, by the way, we're not talking about if you buy a building. Because all those schools are based on endowments. You know, I, I, listen, I, this is a whole different universe for me. I don't even pay attention to any of it. I don't really give a rip about colleges anymore because I have such little respect for most of them. I really do. It's a liberal breeding ground. It's a liberal. Listen, we're indoctrinating little socialists. And yeah, uh, shocker. You know, everybody I think, needs a safe space and a cup of cocoa. Let me tell you something. If these kids had to fight in World War Two, so like there's our a kid at an Ivy League school it. that I know right. that would on day one, you have to go up to the person and say, how would you like us to address you? I, I'm, I don't even understand it. What does that mean? Do you know what I mean? Miss, Mr. I don't, they go through all the different gender variations and you have to ask permission how to address somebody or something like that. Did you ever hear that? Uh, no. I am not kidding. Let I me just, just tell you something. You tell me. If I, so you if go. I you ever, tell me something. You go ahead. I'm in rare form today, so watch out. You go ahead. You if let anybody ever said to me, I don't like the way that uh, this pronoun is being used. I'm like, you know what? If you're thinking that hard <laughs> yeah, about how exactly. a pronoun is affecting your day. Could you imagine if I got forget offended? About it. If I got to forget about if I got offended by the things that are said about me every day, it's just ridiculous. No, you I'm need about, to get a life. You need way, to liberals go to work. Are the ones that say all of these. If I, I look, I don't read it. And you know what? If oh, you I read it all. Call me a beep, beep, burp, 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 I don't care. I don't I was, care. In other words, we can't like play it because I have to bleep it all out. George Carlin's words are being misused. The, the thing is here. Um, I got to tell you, the judge says Huffman regained her moral compass. 14 days, $30,000 fine. Well, I don't think she's a threat to society, but I don't think we need to go as far as sleepy, creepy, crazy Joe 30330 and all nonviolent offenders should not be in jail ever. Well, well, then let's just, okay, it's nonviolent. I'm going to walk into your store. I'm going to steal everything. I'm going to walk out. And if I get caught, I'm a nonviolent offender. You can't do anything. I mean, that's so dumb. I mean, there's got to be some type of punishment for some certain type of crimes. Now, do I think she's a danger to society? No. Is it to send a message? Yeah, knock it off. Uh, that's what it is. And But I will tell you, I think the one that paid $500,000 and took pictures of the kids and put them on athletes' bodies, that's going to be a problem in the end. That's what I believe. I think it's uh, a bunch of baloney. I think our country is in a hot well, mess. Well, I mean, I spent, like, well, since the time my kids are are eight years old, you know, traveling the country every freaking weekend, you know, with this, you know, sports stuff, it is a pain in the neck after a while, but it does do a few things. You learn about life. You learn you don't always win. You learn to be a good winner and a gracious loser. The harder you work, the better you do. Up to you. You get to decide. That's a life lesson because that will that's the great thing about any sport. It mirrors life. That's why we love sports. And then you have your gladiator sports. I'm telling you, it's a very hard life to do all the stuff to become a, a you know, college athlete. And guess what? There's I think 470 college athletes in the country, only 10,000 of them or 480, but only 470,000 will never be a pro athlete. I mean, that's how that's how good you have to be. Um let me go through a, a, a couple of things here.
because I, I as I go through and I look at the varying candidates that are involved in all of this now, I don't care what the media says. You know, you got the, how many times did we hear racist last night? Did anyone ever add it up? We heard it a lot, didn't we? Linda, you're not listening. I wasn't sure if this was rhetorical. You know, sometimes no, you I mean, say my name and then you keep talking. The, did we ever add it up? I remember writing at some point today. I read over a hundred times. Do we have that montage? We have a the little montage. The first is just how dangerous Donald Trump is. The cost and the consequence of his presidency. A racism and violence that had long been a part of America was welcomed out into the open. We know Donald Trump's a racist, but there is no red badge of courage for calling him that. Racism exists. The question isn't who who isn't a racist. Do you think that people who support President Trump and his immigration policies are racist? Anyone who supports this is supporting racism. We have a white supremacist in the White House, and he poses a mortal threat to people of color all across this country. We have systemic racism that is eroding our nation. Finally confront the racism that exists in America. Systemic racism preceded this president. I have proposed the most comprehensive vision to tackle systemic racism. And we have to come at this issue attacking systemic racism. And we will make sure that systemic racism is dealt with in substantive plans. The racism that we see in environmental injustice. White supremacy is a growing threat to this country. Racism in America is endemic. It is foundational. So that went on all last night. And I'll tell you, to me, because there are very ignorant people in this country that are racist. I don't care if you're a white nationalist idiot. I don't care if you're a Louis Farrakhan idiot. Uh, Racism, it exists. Unfortunately, there are very ignorant people in this country. And, you know, there's no one political party that has an agenda or has a monopoly on uh, how many stupid people they support. You know, nobody seems to care that Hillary's mentor, Robert KKK Byrd, the former Klansman or her husband's mentor, J. William Fulbright, was a segregationist or Al Gore's father. Yeah, he voted against the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act and Biden. He didn't support integration in schools and you can run down the list. But the race card is usually played by by the Democrats, and I've chronicled that many times in the course of this show and TV over the years. You know, it's like my father's killed all over again. Uh, If you don't vote, uh, black churches are going to burn, and it's like, you know, they're going to put you all back in chains. It goes on and on. We've been through this many times, the history of this. The 64 Civil Rights Act, the 65 Voting Rights Act. Yeah, Lyndon Johnson needed Republicans because Hillary's mentor and Al Gore's father and uh, Joe Biden's buddy, uh, Fritz, whatever his name is, Hollings, they didn't want the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act and even filibustered it. So give me a break. It's just, it's, you know, oh, the picture of Obama with, with Farrakhan. Never heard one Democrat ever ask that question. Like, I like can answer because they hid it from everybody for eight years. Well, and what was this? Did you see Biden struggle with the teeth thing? What was that? They kneel, It looked like they almost fell out I'm of his mouth. I'm calling it Dentrogate. Is that what we're calling it? Dentrogate? I'm calling it Dentrogate. I don't know what everybody else is calling At it. At one point, Biden actually confused Bernie Sanders for president. Nobody really liked that. Castro, and then after the debate, uh, Spartacus Booker, you know, uh, you know, hammering Biden on his age. You said, you can't remember, you forgetting what you said two minutes ago. Yikes, that hurts. 
And I think he landed a blow and, you know, then saying you're not fulfilling Obama's legacy, then mocking his memory. Joe Biden claims well, we didn't lock people up in cages. I got videos right here in front of me. I got pictures in front of me. Yes, we did. I'll show them tonight. Buddha judge alleging Trump voters are supporting racism. Yeah, let's just let's just trash every Trump voter in this country. Smelly President Walmart Trump people. has called Mexican immigrants rapists and killers. Tried to ban Muslims from entering the country. I don't want to go over that. And, you know, I like Jorge Ramos on a personal level. Wow. I don't even know where to begin. Biden says nonviolent criminals shouldn't go to jail. Okay, was that an accident, Joe? Obamacare is, you know, it's not working for Americans. But does anyone know that? Just wonder how many, you know, we, we look at this whole thing, Centers for Medis, Medicare, Medicaid Studies, 2016, 28, two and a half million Americans without any subsidies left the Obamacare exchanges. That's a 40% drop. In other words, millions of Americans without Obamacare subsidies, they can't pay for Obamacare plans. And then, of course, millions lost their doctors. Millions lost their plans. Millions only have one choice of one plan. That's it. And everybody paid a fortune more. That was not a success, sleepy, creepy, crazy. It was not. You know, I know that the senator says she's for Bernie. Well, I'm for Barack. Well, that's so nice. Left-wing protesters interrupting Biden over immigration. Yeah, three million deportations and no human being is illegal and defend DACA. It kind of embarrassed him. Look, and then you got Warren wants to tax everything, including Social Security and her new wealth tax. And I, I, there'll be it's literally it's going to be the government saying, give us your money or we'll put you in jail. That's what it's going to be. And then you got Beto Bozo Robert Francis. And you got Bernie Sanders, I mean, the angriest socialist in the world. And, of course, you got Andrew Yang. Well, let me see. Um, let me see if I can go to my website fast. I can give you $1,000 a month. That's how we're going to fix America. Oh, okay. Guaranteed income. None of this is feasible. Look, follow the money. It's not possible. It's never going to be possible. Anyway, Huffman... Ordered to report to prison in six weeks. All right, for a two-week stint. I guess you get probably get half time, right? That would mean a week in jail, nine days in jail, something like that. That's so, what they were saying originally, but now it's up to fourteen days. Oh, she has to spend fourteen days in jail, supposedly. And no, no, what she if she behaves herself, she doesn't get good time off of that. No, she's got a year of supervisory. Um, what do they call yeah, it? Thirty thousand dollar fine. I saw. Whatever. My campaign will now give a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month for an entire year to 10 American families, someone watching this at home right now. If you believe that you can solve your own problems better than any politician, go to yang2020.com and tell us how $1,000 a month will help you do just that. This is how we will get our country working for us again, the American people. <laughs> it's original, I'll give you that. <laughs> yes, we will raise the minimum wage to a living wage. Yes, we will finally make sure that every American has health care as a human right, not a privilege. And yes, we will address the catastrophic crisis of climate change and transform our energy system. A racism and violence that had long been a part of America was welcomed out into the open and directed to my hometown of El Paso, Texas 
where 22 people were killed, dozens more grievously injured by a man carrying a weapon he should never have been able to buy in the first place, inspired to kill by our president. We know Donald Trump's a racist, but there is no red bag of courage for calling him that. And this is not just an issue that started yesterday. It's not just an issue that we hear a president that can't contemn white supremacy. We have systemic racism that is eroding our nation. So let's be clear about health care and let's actually start where vice president did. We all owe a huge debt to President Obama who fundamentally transformed healthcare in America and committed this country to healthcare for every human being. We should be talking about rehabilitation. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. to buy in. If you qualify for Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago? I mean, I can't believe that you said two minutes ago that they had to buy in, and now you're saying they don't have to buy in. You're forgetting that. So, President Trump, you've spent the last two and a half years full-time trying to sow hate and division among us, as, and that is why we've got nothing done. You have used hate, intimidation, fear, and over 12,000 lies as a way to distract from your failed policies and your broken promises. And now, President Trump, you can go back to watching Fox News. Do you think that people who support President Trump and his immigration policies are racist? Anyone who supports this is supporting racism. Donald Trump in office on trade policy. You know, he reminds me of that that guy in The Wizard of Oz. You know, when you pull back the curtain, it's a really small dude. Okay. <laughs> this is why presidential on, guys, debates on. are becoming unwatchable. Yeah, yeah, where, this where reminds everybody of what they cannot can I, stand about Washington. Scoring I, points against each other, poking I, at each other, and telling each other that, that you're my plan, your plan. Look, we all yeah, That's called a Democratic primary election. About <laughs> that's called an election. That's an election. You know, this is what we're here for. It's an election. Uh, there's things that are important, things that are unimportant. We're going to clear the protesters now. Just one minute. All right, News Roundup, Information Overload Hour, pretty much a summation of the radical extremism that wants to take on Donald Trump. Um, I don't even know where to begin except where we started the show today. I mean, this pie in the sky, government controls everything, every aspect of your life, and on and on and on. Uh, pretty unbelievable to me, and I, I'm not sure that it's going to go well with the American people and what the American people understand to be freedom. You know, you, you, want about, you want to talk about the costs of Medicare for all. You want to talk about the costs of the new Green Deal, Medicare for all. You have some estimates now talking about, you know, 42 trillion. You know, for example, last month, North Carolina state rep moved uh, to kill her own pro single payer bill. Yeah, that would have been uh, a cost of single payer at 70 billion dollars. I mean, in 2014, Vermont, longtime single payer advocate governor gave up a single payer plan because it was four point three billion annually. And you know what? You just can't afford all of this stuff. It ends up 
I mean, look at this, for example. A third of the counties in this country, keep your doctor, keep your plan, save money. Okay, millions lost their doctors, their plans, and everybody's paying more. How many counties now, a third of counties in this country, only have one insurer on the so-called Affordable uh, Care Act exchanges? That's it. You got your one option. Good luck with that. Anyway, that's your future. Uh, John McLaughlin, the pollster, Matt Towery, the pollster, retired, uh, back with us yet again. Okay, first assessments of last night's uh, d- radical extremist debate. Um, even moderate Joe, I mean, he's bought in hook, line, and sinker to the new Green Deal. Matt Towery. Yes. Uh, well, look, I, Sean, here's an interesting thing. We've all seen this done in campaigns. You take a clip from something someone says, and then you use it against another member of the party that gets the nomination when they get the nomination. Now, I want to think about the very first debate. One of the first things that Joe Biden did was talk about how you can't pay for all of these programs that his opponents are trying to propose. Now he's embracing one of these programs as well. They are creating sound bites that would make magnificent commercials against their own nominee, whether it were Joe Biden or anyone else. So to me, they're contradictory from the very first um, uh, debate to this debate. And now they're all moving so far to the left that the the stark difference that you're going to see between President Trump and whoever they nominate is going to be so significant that these polls that you see right now are irrelevant. Well, I hope you're right. And uh, if you're right, then I look, I don't think Donald Trump is able to poll like any other candidate. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we we know that. And we also know. And John has made uh I don't know if John's on the air with us or not, but John's made point of this, and, and, and I look at it all the time. Most of these polls, they don't include likely voters. They, they, um, they weight their poll overwhelmingly Democrat, or they don't weight their poll at all, and the collection sample goes heavily Democrat and very young. You're not seeing realistic polls of either President Trump's approval rating, nor are you seeing a realistic polling of how he would do in the end against these other candidates in a head-for-head, you know, um, contest. What's your take, John McLaughlin? You were watching. I know you're in Israel because we got a big election for Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, out there next week. Uh, And wow, we had a story yesterday. I couldn't believe that this guy apparently is compromised for years, uh, and everybody knows some of the compromising materials in, in Israel, but I won't get into the details, but uh, and how they haven't made that a bigger story shocks me. First, your thoughts on Israel, then your sh- thoughts on last night's debate. Well, I'm, I'm calling you from Jerusalem, so in the meantime, uh, uh, by the way, you're famous over here, because that show that you did uh, last night with Mark Levin, plus your radio show, is all over Facebook over here. Is that true? The social media. Oh, yeah. They put it up with Hebrew subtitles. So I'll send you the wow. link after the show. <laughs> How many people have looked at it? That cracks me up. I, you could look at it. It'll probably, by the way, the prime minister has three million followers, so it'll probably be in the hundreds of thousands. So, uh, uh, But they, they did put up Hebrew subtitles, and your story is exactly right, because the amazing thing is on the other side, Gantz, our opponent, the left-wing opponent that we're running against, um, is, is the guy who's running his campaign is Joe Benenson, who was Obama's pollster and Hillary Clinton's strategist. And this is all about, once again, rolling over uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu so they could get the Iran deal back. It's so transparent. And uh, hopefully the people of Israel, once again, like they did in 2015 and like they did earlier in April, they will give their votes to Likud and Prime Minister Netanyahu so that he can continue to work with Trump to keep uh, Israel and the United States safe. The relationship's never so, been better. And the, you know, yeah. literally recognizing the capital 
from Tel Aviv, moving it to the embassy to Jerusalem and the sovereignty of Golan and the alliance that has been built. It's never been stronger. It was never worse than under Obama. So shocking. I'm not surprised that you got Obama's people working again to try and defeat Netanyahu. Uh, it would be a disaster, exactly. in my view, for what? the region if what? we lost Bibi Netanyahu. And especially with a strong relationship with the president. Yes, and you were right on last night in that show, and it's it's going all over Israel today and uh, uh, across the social media and across Facebook. Uh, Israelis are getting. I was shocked so, when uh, I was there how many people did recognize me, but it's not about me. What do you think of last night's debate? Uh, last night's debate, I did get to watch it while I was reading number um, our poll numbers here in Israel. So I watched it. It was an infomercial on behalf of Donald Trump. I mean, once again, the Democrats are racing off the edge of the earth, showing they don't like a successful president. And what's amazing is, when was the last time you saw a presidential debate without an economic question? They're not asking, gee, what do you think? President Trump created six million new jobs. Is that good or bad? They're not, they're not, they're not ready to argue with his success, and it's extremely personal in, in their attacks. But uh, all the Democrats... You know, you couldn't pay for it. Biden got weaker as it went along. Uh, you know, they, I thought Sanders and Warren got exposed about how their plans, they really don't have, they, they can't make it add up. They're promising everybody free health care and, and free, free loans. And on our surveys, when we ask people, do you think, uh, do you think socialism or cap, free market capitalism is more fair? Five to three, the majority of Americans say free market capitalism. But when you say, do you prefer big government socialism versus free market capitalism, it goes to like 60 to 13. The majority of Americans do not want socialism because they connect it with big government. And when you phrase it that way, they understand, as you said, the loss of freedom. You, you, you correctly uh, frame that when you were talking about Americans don't want to lose their freedom. They don't want to be told uh, where to get their health care or where not to get their health care, where to go to school, how to drive their cars. And that's what, that's what we're headed for if any of these Democrats win. We continue with our pollsters, John McLaughlin and Matt Towery. You know, Matt, I'm, I'm watching. Do you see anybody, and again, if you add up the cost, Medicare for all, uh, you know, it's going to wipe out 90% of the budget in the next 10 years. It is, it is mathematically impossible you know, Bernie, really sixteen trillion on the New Green Deal. Anywhere from two trillion to sixteen trillion on the New Green Deal. Washington Post trying to back up Democrats' uh, hysteria on climate change. That's not where Americans' heads are at. Americans want to make sure they've got their shot at the American dream: a nice house, safe neighborhood, drive a good car, occasionally go out to eat, save for their future, take their kids to Disney once or twice when they're young, and uh, maybe go to a occasional vacation once a year. I don't. I think after. Keep your doctor plan and save money. And that failure, I don't know what America's appetite is going to be for false promises on a magnitude without oil and gas that would destroy the American economy, our lifeblood. Well, if, if you were to start taking the individual portions of, of the platform that they're beginning to create that the Democratic Party will have to adopt, you're going to see huge sectors of the economy and people who work in those sectors come to realize the effect of these crazy plans that they have that just go way beyond what we have. I think it's going to have a major effect when you get down to the general election. But I want to make one other point, uh, Sean. They talk about the failure of the Trump administration, that they focus on the fact that Trump has problems with some of his top leadership from time to time. 
But what nobody ever notes is the fact that if we do have failure in government, it's the holdovers from the Obama administration that are still serving in these second and third tier levels of, of organizations. I mean, I learned one today. Um, uh, the USDA is uh, uh, apparently trying to mess with a program in, in our old state of Georgia to, to embarrass Sonny Purdue. This goes on all over the country. So not only are we having to deal with the bureaucracy that they want to create uh, forward, which will be massive, it would be so costly. We can't even get rid of the bureaucracy that we were left with from the last administration. Last word, John McLaughlin. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, what's going on right now is Donald Trump, we put up a number from our July 29th survey. We asked people, do you want Donald Trump to continue to fight for change in Washington? And among all voters, the majority of Americans said yes, 51 to 38. So Trump's, Trump's begun it, but he's not finished the job. But the people are, they may not like his style all the time, but they like the results. And that's what's going to get him reelected. Does BB pull it out? I mean, he runs, he never, he's like, Trump in a lot of ways. I mean, he never polls particularly well. I see the polls are very, very tight. Um, do you believe, obviously, Tuesday is a big day in Israel. Do you think he pulls this out? We have to. What was amazing was we, 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 we beat Obama's people and talk about meddling and spying in an election. You know, the, you see, the Obama people talk about spying on Trump. <laughs> they did it. But over here, over here, what, uh, uh, what's going on right now is the voters are deciding at the last minute, and it's going to be close again. And we pulled it out in 2015. We pulled it out in April, except one of our partners backed out. So now we have to get 61 out of the 120 connection seats for the right-wing block without one of those partners. So it's so the bottom line is, is if people are going to vote and want Prime Minister Netanyahu, probably we need more people going with Likud to guarantee that he'll be able to form the government at the end of this. You are exactly right. You know how to read the polls. They have to, the only way they stop the left is to vote. For Not the my food. first rodeo, John. Sure. I'm getting old. There's a little white hair creeping <laughs> in there, bro. They have to get out. They have to. I'm making it look like complete. Towery now. I'm, I'm, I, except he's tan and, <laughs> and happy, and he's going to go out on the beach as soon as we get off this phone. All right, guys. Thank you both. Are you uncomfortable with the term impeachment inquiry? Is there another term we should be using? I'm not. I, Thank you. Is okay. it the right Madam Speaker, we, went on guns. we are on our path. Where it takes us is where the fo- we will follow the facts. That's what it is. Why don't we spend some time going over to see Mitch McConnell and asking him why he doesn't want to save lives? Why he will let every day go by where at least 100 people, large number of them children or teenagers, die from gun violence? Why is it that you're hung up on a word over here when lives are at stake over there? Thank you all. And he just gave the answer to the gentleman from Colorado saying that we did this in an impeachment inquiry. You're not in an impeachment inquiry. This committee is engaged in an investigation that will allow us to determine whether to recommend articles of impeachment with respect to President Trump. That is what we are doing. Some call this process an impeachment inquiry. Some call it an impeachment investigation. There is no legal difference between these terms, and I no longer care to argue about the nomenclature. But but let me clear up any remaining doubt. The conduct under investigation poses a threat to our democracy. We have an obligation to respond to this threat, and we are doing so. Under the procedures outlined in this resolution, we we will hold hearings 
that allow us to further consider the evidence against the president. At those hearings, in addition to member questioning, we will allow staff, can staff counsel to participate for one hour per witness, evenly divided between the majority and the minority. This will allow us to develop the record in ways that the five-minute rule does not always permit. We will also allow the president to respond to the evidence in writing and on the record. No matter how we may disagree with him, President Trump is entitled to respond to the evidence in this way. And we will treat certain sensitive evidence, such as grand jury information, as being received in executive session. Under these procedures, when we have finished these hearings and considered as much evidence we are, as we are able to gather, we will then decide whether to refer articles of impeachment to the House floor. We have a constitutional, historical, and moral obligation to fully investigate these matters and to make that decision. All right, that was first Nancy Pelosi. Then we have, yeah, the obsessive compulsive impeachment uh, conspiracy theorist. They don't know why he's going to impeach Trump, but he just knows he wants to do it to placate the radical left of his party. Uh, and what's happening is what you hear with Nancy Pelosi. Uh, well, I'm not answering any more questions about a possible inquiry investigation and the rest. I don't want to use the I word. And then frustrating, leaving the room and the podium, cutting the press conference short after accusing the press, the press of having the impeachment obsession. No, that would be the chairman of her committee. That would be Chairman Nadler. That would be the cowardly, gutless Schiff who won't come on the program. Uh, that would be uh, the rest of them and the radical extremists. Then she storms away and said she supports Nadler, is very pleased with his committee's work, but called impeachment divisive, said Americans want the House to proceed cautiously, legislate, investigate, litigate. That is the path we are on, the path we continue to be on. Well, if you're thinking, if your top guys are talking about impeachment, you're going to talk about impeachment. And you can see her visibly you know, shaken and angry that she couldn't get her press conference out without getting a few little tough questions like, well, do you support, do you support Nadler? Is this an impeachment inquiry? What's the impeachment inquiry about? They haven't decided. They haven't settled on anything yet. They're just going to hope we throw a bunch of paper up the, against the wall, wet paper, and one of them may stick on the wall. Uh, then, you know, going, well, maybe Mitch McConnell can work on gun legislation. How many lives are going to be given? I'm like, okay, well, if that's the standard, Nancy Pelosi. Well, instead of saying that the crisis at the border where 90% of our heroin comes in, well, I'll ask the question back at you. How many Americans have to die? We're losing nearly 300 Americans a week with opioid deaths. You add fentanyl to it. Yeah, a lot of that's coming through the southern border also. And we've got ourselves not a manufactured crisis, but a pretty darn real crisis. And while your party supported the idea of a wall in the second term of Obama, you don't want one now because you don't want to give Trump the victory. But in spite of your efforts, we had a Supreme Court ruling this week that backs up the president's plans on asylum. And number two, the week before, the president got, yes, the ability through emergency uh, powers that, in fact, that was given to him by the legislature to shut down as president any drug corridors into this country. There you go. Build the wall, build the barriers, put up lights, anything you need to stop them. Well, the president is able now to legally reallocate those unused defense funds now to build the border wall with the promise he wants over 400 miles of that wall built a year from now, which is great news. That means Trump wins. And that's why Pelosi was frustrated, saying, I, I just nothing I could do to stop him. Oh, we'll go back to the courts. OK, good luck with that. It's not working so far. But the reality is she knows this party going down the impeachment path. Well, in the end, it's going to be suicide. 
I just went over at the beginning of the program, the new Green Deal costs up to $94 trillion or every household anywhere between $36,000 and $65,000 every year. John Barrasso, by the way, said the chairman of the Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works, the deal will bankrupt the nation. On the upper end, every American household would have to pay sixty-five grand a year to foot the bill. The total price tag would be $93 trillion. Then we got the massive costs that are associated with, uh, yeah, Medicaid uh, or care for all. And, you know, what you're talking about here, and I know it really gets confusing at some point, the Bernie uh, plan, well, that's $1.4 trillion also per year. To pay for it, he called for a 2.2% income tax hike, 6.2% uh, tax on employers, higher taxes on the wealthy. I, I, nobody, this, this cannot, this is unsustainable nonsense. It can never happen. It is pie in the sky, you know, pipe dream stuff. Congressman Andy Biggs, we welcome back to the program from Arizona. Now, he has just followed in the footsteps of two of the most amazing congressmen that I know. If it weren't for the Freedom Caucus, I'm not sure what we would expect out of anybody in Washington, D.C. A bunch of nitwits that don't know much about anything at all, don't want to fight except for the Freedom Caucus. He's now the new chairman of the Freedom Caucus, following in the footsteps of the great Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan. Those are pretty big shoes to follow there, Andy Biggs. I don't know if you're ready for the big time, but you now entered the big leagues. You ready? You know what, Sean? I, I, I have to be ready, but I will tell you that Jim and Mark... Uh, two great heroes of mine. They they've really lifted the Freedom Caucus to uh, a position of power in the conference and and nationally. They, these guys are great. They're everything you say. They're fighters. They're men of integrity. And uh, and I hope to uh, at least stand on their shoulders just a little bit, even. Well, you have them backing you up a thousand percent of the way, like you have a lot of other guys here. You know, I'm just going over the money here. I mean, cost Green New Deal. Ninety-four trillion, okay, uh, per household. You know, over a ten-year period, nobody can afford that. Uh, you know, one point four trillion dollars a year, and we're going to tax everybody to death. Then we're going to confiscate wealth. We're going to have a wealth tax. That—that's another free bite at the apple. You paid your taxes, then they come back years later and say, "You know what? We want more." So we'll legalize right. stealing from the federal government. And then when you die, we'll get another 50 percent. We'll legalize more stealing. And at some point here, all the people leaving New York, New Jersey, Illinois and California are going to say, I'm leaving the United States because I'm not going to let you rob me blind. Right. I mean, you know, Margaret Thatcher said the only problem with socialism is at some point there's nobody left to uh, get the take the money from to, to provide the freebies. And that's really what you're seeing here. And these folks are leaving California. They're pouring into Arizona, Texas, Florida. And, and what's happening is, is they want to bring their same silly policies there. But we have not got the responsible people in Washington, D.C. to say, look, you know what? We are putting America in a national security threat status because we won't control our spending. And these guys are promising everything. They're just wild-eyed socialists, quite frankly. So the question now is, what do Republicans do? You know, one thing I would like to see, and I don't know if even Republicans could pull it off, because I'll be honest, Andy, and frank with you, you're going to be the chairman of the Freedom Caucus now. We have to have that relationship. Republicans, you know what? They've been very disappointing. You know, 65 show votes on repealing Obamacare. Then when it matters, oh, never mind, it really didn't mean it. 
Uh, in the Senate, you get people just voting for a repeal bill, then the same exact bill, the same exact senators when it mattered and Trump was president. Uh, yeah, no thanks. So I don't really have a lot of confidence in the Republican Party. And the worst part about health care, now the president did get rid of the individual mandate. That was a big part of it. But we still have some work to do. You know, the president can't do all the heavy lifting on his own. But, you know, for seven plus years, you know, where was the alternative plan? Where were the health care savings accounts that we always talked about? And where were the health care cooperatives that we always talked about? I didn't see hardly anybody on TV or Republican that had a consensus plan that would have worked. Well, you're exactly right, Sean. I, I mean, the, the problem that we've had in Washington, D.C. is is a lot of people who are willing to take the hard vote when it's not hard. You know what I mean? It's it's. You mean it's they're a, called show vote. votes, Andy? I've been around show a while. Show votes. Yeah, yeah they're just show votes. Is it, and, isn't and, the whole and, impeachment now, just to give a, a comparable, comparable example on the other time, on the other side, Democrats know they're not going to impeach. So you got Nadler on the one hand and, and the cowardly ship on the other, and they can't believe that Mueller didn't give them the roadmap to impeachment they dreamed of. So now they're just going to manufacture something to say they're going to impeach. They're not going to impeach. Those Democrats that are in Trump districts, they're not going to participate in that, and they're not going to win in the Senate. So the idea of impeaching Trump is dead. And Nancy Pelosi knows even any talk of it is suicide. She's trying to back him off, but they're trying to rev up that radical base. That radical base is not enough to get anybody elected. But every Democratic presidential candidate seems to be uh, catering to it. Why? Well, because uh, you're right. It, this is a show. This is all a show and and for a lot of reasons. But but one of them is they've got a rabid um, base that wants this. And you know what? They're running for the primary. These Democrats right now are, run, are not running for the general. You walk, you watch how quickly whoever their nominee is starts backing away from impeachment talk when uh, when they, they gain the Democrat nomination. Because you're right, this is a show vote. It's it's all for for political purposes. It has no real meaning, um, and but it still has to be fought. You have to fight it realistically just to demonstrate that it has no real meaning. But this is being done. Uh, just for their rabbit base, but they're going to walk away from it, I guarantee you, uh, as soon as uh, they're the nominee. All right, Andy Biggs, Congressman, Arizona, now the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, the third chairman after Meadows and Jordan. Big shoes to fill. We're going to be all over you, Andy. I'm sorry, right. being friends with us is not easy. Um, how do we grow the caucus? Because honestly, although... I guess McCarthy is trying, and I guess he's been pretty good to you guys from what I can hear behind the scenes. Here's my question. Can the caucus put together with Kevin McCarthy and then bring in the Senate and every candidate, can we nationalize the election? Can we talk about borders? Can we talk about budgets? Can we talk about judges? Can we talk about, you know, economic growth, energy independence, all the things that we all agree on, 70, 30, 80, 20 issues, and run on it and say, if you elect us, we're going to do it all together. And then this way, the weaker Republicans can be held accountable and it will give them something to run on. Well, Sean, you're, you're right. What we have to do is we have to set an agenda that that appeals to not just the, the party base, but it goes broader be, than the party. And they're the very issues you're talking about. They are the Trump coalition that helped him win. And that's really what Freedom Caucus is trying to do is expand that get more Freedom Caucus uh, congressmen and congresswomen elected. And so we're out there working in the trenches. And that's where we have to be. We have to be in the trenches. But we also have, an, uh, have to have an agenda that we can 
iterate and, and make a great narrative on. And that narrative is everything from the economy to the federal judges to the fence that's going up to um, uh, fighting the crazy uh, ideas of the left. I mean, these things appeal to the American people. They get it. I mean, that's why you see somebody like a Klobuchar now trying to say, oh, well, I'll take the middle ground, because the Democrats know that they're extreme. They're going to lose based on their extreme extreme views. And so we have to make sure that we're, because I, I believe we're a center-right country. I believe that the Freedom Caucus is right smack dab where most Americans are. And that's where we have to be out there on the, on the stump, narr- uh, providing that narrative make sure we're talking about it, and we have to put the agenda together for 2020 and beyond. All right, Andy, congratulations, Andy Biggs. 800-941-SEAN is our number. There's a preponderance of evidence that the, the FISA warrant was knowingly and willfully inaccurate, incomplete, misleading to the FISA court. Is it more than uh, a preponderance? Isn't it overwhelming yeah. and incontrovertible, objectively, just looking at your reporting? They knew, yes. and they didn't care, and, and they didn't and, vet it. Right. And here's some news, Sean, that I think is going to become very important to get how bad the situation is. You need those documents to be declassified. We've been talking about that buckets for a long time. I am hearing that the Justice Department is nearing a decision to release 10 or 12 of the most important documents before the FISA uh, warrant uh, uh, IG report comes out. That will allow all of us to see how bad it was before we see the IG's conclusions. The way we operate in the Department of Justice, if we can accuse somebody of wrongdoing, we have to have admissible evidence and credible witnesses. We need to prepare to prove our case in court. And we have to affix our signature to the charging document. That's something that not everybody appreciates. Uh, there's a lot of talk about FISA applications. And many people that I, I see talking about it seem not to recognize uh, what a FISA application A FISA application is actually a warrant, just like a search warrant. Uh, in order to get a FISA uh, search warrant, you need an affidavit signed by a career federal law enforcement officer who swears that the information in the affidavit is true and correct to the best of his knowledge and belief. Uh, and that's the way we operate. And if it's wrong, sometimes it is, if you find out there's anything incorrect in there, that person is going to face consequences. Yeah, that person is going to face consequences. Senator Lindsey Graham, South Carolina chairman of the all-important Senate Judiciary Committee, who has pledged when the Inspector General Horowitz comes out with his report on FISA abuse that he will give him every bit of time necessary to explain to the American people everything that he has discovered. Uh, Senator, good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Can I uh, make a comment about the last clip you just played? Because it's no. important. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Okay. That's <laughs> easy. Go ahead. It is your show. Okay. So here's the question. Improving intent. If you have a group of uh, FBI agents and Department of Justice officials certifying to the court uh, that you should be get, getting a warrant against Carter Page based on the Christopher Steele dossier, the question is, did those people have a bias against Trump? Uh, did they have a agenda? And if you can prove that they were out to get everything Trump, then it makes it easier to believe it was not a good faith mistake. So when you proving intent, did they intentionally mislead the court? I would argue there's a mountain of evidence that these people are biased and uh, in in the tank against Trump. Okay, let's go through the facts just on this portion of it. Now, 
Yes. We know Great Britain warned the United States about Christopher Steele. That is huge. We had full knowledge that Christopher Steele was not credible. Again, okay, before the FISA applications. It doesn't count unless it was before the warrant okay. application. Well, Kathleen so Kavlak was before, and Bruce Orr yeah. was before, and yeah, then it comes down going. to... Okay, go ahead. So there, there's four events that I'm aware of, five actually, where the system was informed that Christopher Steele was an unreliable informant when it came to Trump, that he had a political bias and agenda, that on five different occasions, the system, for lack of a better word, was told, be wary of this guy. Go through the now, five. We got Kathleen Kavlak. We got Bruce Orr. Keep going. Yeah. Well, there's come up some of them I can't tell yet until we get the stuff declassified. But I think it's going to be five. It may be six. So what I want to do is when we do your show is put down a list of warnings the system had received prior to the first warrant being signed and continued before the last warrant was signed. Put that on a chart. Then let's look at this. From the time they asked for the application in October, they've submitted the first application. What did they do to verify the dossier? What effort was made by the Department of Justice and the FBI to prove that the document was reliable. Now, okay, so what we're saying, and this is where I bring in the word premeditated. If they were this warned... This is what I'm trying to, trying, to, trying to build a case for, that... Obviously. Intentional, yes. This was premeditated, intentional. That goes to the, the statute, which has the word intent, correct? Yeah, preponderance of the evidence won't cut it. So what you got to do if you want to prosecute somebody for misleading the court in a criminal fashion... You've got to show a bias on their part, some circumstantial evidence that these people were not fair-minded. There's a lot of that. If you can show warnings that the uh, informant was unreliable and they did nothing, that goes into the category of, you know, they were out to get him. Okay. So if we had the warnings and then we know that the dossier, we now know that its own author can't stand by it which to me renders the dossier unverifiable. But this is really important. From October to December, what efforts were made to verify the dossier in light of the warnings? Well, wait a minute. What about the warnings before the signing of the first warrant? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You had warnings before you got the first warrant, okay? Right. Then you had more evidence coming in uh, all the way through to the fourth application. During that period of time, the system continued to receive input that still is unreliable. What did they do to assure themselves uh, that they were on the right track? And if they did nothing to verify the document after being okay, so, court right. as an institution, let Here's the thing, John Solomon, when they finally got around in the fall of 2017, you know, they laid out like a, a, a spreadsheet the yes, FBI, when they finally looked the into it, applied for four times. Well, here's the thing. Then they concluded, oh, none of this is true. Ninety plus percent we've proven not to be true. Now that should have been done before the signing of the first warrant. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. This is a bit of news. When I get all this stuff done, I'm going to send it to the FISA court, and I'm going to say, as oversight chairman, now it's your court to run, but I've got to be in charge of making sure that American rights are protected. If they don't take any corrective action, it will prove to me that the court is not reliable. Because here's what we can prove without any doubt. 
the court was misled to the accuracy of the uh, Christopher Steele dossier, that the system had plenty of warnings, it wasn't reliable, it was biased, and they didn't do a damn thing to look into it, and they never informed the court of the bias in any meaningful way. If, if that's okay with the FISA court, then we need to probably do away with the FISA court. I agree, which is not good for the country in the end in many ways. It's but if it, for the country. But here's what I want to know, because, listen, now we know it's premeditated. Now we know it's unverifiable. Now we know that they verified it anyway, and the bulk of information used to get the, uh, the warrant was the dirty Clinton bought and paid for, according to the New York Times, likely from the get-go Russian without disinformation it, dossier. No, hang on, without let me finish. It, there would not have been a warrant. Okay, Andrew McCabe, no, no dossier, no warrant. Now, now Comey is, signs the first one, says it's verified, because that's on, according to my sources of FISA application, says it's verified, it's un, but he was warned it isn't, and he didn't do anything to do it. And then goes to Trump Tower in January, sees President-elect Trump, says it's unverified but salacious. The opposite of what he said in October 2016. And then two more times after that Trump Tower meeting, he said it was verified and signed his name that it was verified. So he lied. So let's go to the, right. Well, let's go to these two points. So he's making a statement to the president inconsistent with what he told the court, right? He signed a document under oath, an affidavit, that this is reliable information, uh, that you should issue a warrant based on this information. He gave the same document to President Trump and said it's unverified, but you need to know about it. How do you square that? And what are the remedies here? Is that a crime? Maybe so. This is where Durham comes in, not Horowitz. But here's what's important to me. If the court doesn't take corrective action, then I've lost faith in the court. What about the law? Because if I went into any courtroom, you know, I was warned not to say things because it's not true. And I did it anyway. And I did it knowing it's not true and did nothing to discover what the veracity of it. Why would that be? Perjury. Well, perjury okay, under oath. Lying well, under oath is all. Is, so now here's okay, the question. Uh, Do you believe, point. based on everything we just discussed, that the four FISA applications were obtained illegally? Because I believe they were. Well, here's what I believe. And I'm not a prosecutor, and that's not my job. Here's what I believe. There's overwhelming evidence that the document is unverified to this day. It should never have been used to get a warrant. That's not even in question. There's plenty of evidence they were warned about the unreliable nature of it, ignored it. There's plenty of evidence that they had a bias against President Trump. There's plenty of evidence they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're telling Trump one thing and the court another. This is for Durham and others to put the legal puzzle together as to whether or not you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt it was a false affidavit uh, fraud on the court. Here's where I come in. It's my job to make sure our laws work well and the system protects the American people. And if I'm convinced after all this BS and the court doesn't take corrective action, then I've lost faith in the court. So this is very important at multiple levels. The people who did it to the court need to be held accountable. But I think the court needs to convince the public that they're not going to accept this as a as a legitimate business practice. All right. Well, now I have a couple of other questions. You had asked the Attorney General Barr. Uh, to me, this is a slam dunk. The Inspector General does not come back and say that they they committed a premeditated fraud on the court and the and the. That's and not the, his job. 
Well, okay. When you lay out the facts, I mean, it should be easy for anybody to conclude. We're everything we're that's talking what, about here, Senator. Comes in. That's what, right. Right. We're, we're, this is now evidence that w- is incontrovertible. We have no. There's no dispute on whether or not what we're saying here is true. Just like there's no dispute that Hillary Clinton violated the Espionage Act there, and there, obstructed justice. Right. Uh, are we ever going to go back and revisit that now that she's mocking everybody sitting at a okay. mock Oval Office desk? Right. So here's what the DOJ hung their hat on, that under the statute that doesn't have a specific intent requirement, they read one in. So I was a military lawyer for a long time, and there were plenty of cases in the military where we were prosecuted people for mishandling classified information. They didn't mean to, they didn't give it to a foreign government. They just misplaced it. They were negligent in the handling of the document. And that's all that's required under these statutes. It's mishandling classified information. It's a crime different than giving it to the enemy. Okay. So that should be in and of itself. Now, do we have the ability, do you have the ability as, as the chairman of your great committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee, to go back and get answers to whether or not Hillary violated the law, whether it was a rigged investigation? Will we do that? The one thing you don't want a bunch of pro- uh, politicians to do is become prosecutors. But what I will do, as I will make a record of this for history's sake, we're going to try to explain why Hillary Clinton did not face criminal prosecution when most people would. Because if you had done what she had done, taken a bunch of classified information and compromised it, the guy in the Navy, remember the guy who misplaced something? Yeah, Chris. Got a couple of years in that's jail. That's correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I don't. I see. I've been a lawyer. Kristen Saucier spent six, a year in jail for six pictures in a submarine. Yeah. Wait a minute. I, I'm listening yeah. to you, but I want to be very clear. I understand the need to clarify it for history. My more important yeah. question is: Are you saying to me nothing's well, going to happen any, to her? Prosecu- I don't have any prosecutorial powers. I can ask the Department of Justice to look at it from a criminal perspective based on my review. But are you going to do that, do, John? Do you think that well, that needs to happen? Because I do. Well. Let, let me put the puzzle together. I want to get Horowitz's information. Then I want to go back to his first report, and I want to put it all together so it makes sense. But I don't want to stop just at the election. I want to go past the election. I want to know why was the Obama administration surveilling the transition? Bingo. All right, here's what I want to ask next. So these are three separate things. I, I, the answer should be she should still be held accountable for what I believe are crimes. We'll put that aside. Okay. Uh, and I and I hope you do put that before the attorney general to make the legal decision. But on the issue right. of, OK, no counterintelligence investigation without a president. The president in this case is Barack Obama. Now we know of other a multitude of other ways to spy on Trump, the campaign tr- transition and presidency. And that is abroad. Do you believe, as I now believe beyond any doubt that there was outsourcing of intelligence gathering given to our allies in Great Britain, Australia, uh, and other countries, Italy, for the purpose of well, think, circumventing that, American think, law. Well, this is what I'm dying to hear from Horowitz, because, you know, you know more about this than literally anybody on the planet, I think. But let's go back to Papadopoulos. Where did he hear for the first time that the Clinton emails were stolen by the Russians? Did the Russians tell him that? No. He heard it from a person that was working for foreign governments, allies of ours. Okay, where did we hear where did we hear from? The Australian ambassador heard Papadopoulos repeat something previously told by him. 
What's the missing link? There's no connection between Papadopoulos and the Russians. The people that he's talking to and heard it from are on the payroll of foreign governments. I got to take a break. Uh, we'll have more with the South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. And of course, he's the chairman of the all important Senate Judiciary Committee. We have a very important question to get to with him, and that is, OK, what about Obama? No counterintelligence investigation unless there's a president of the United States that orders one. And of course, struck and paid saying, yeah, the White House wants to be informed every step of the way. Uh, we'll get to that uh, and much more as we continue on the Sean Hannity show. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. And as we continue with Lindsey Graham, South Carolina Senator and Chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, last question I wanted to get in, questions uh, about this very important specific issue. Now, Senator, let me go back to my original question. Do you believe that the counterintelligence investigation, which Struck and Page says the White House wanted to be informed on regularly, you know, the weird last day of the right. Obama presidency memo, he said to do everything by the book. Yeah, right. And you have to have a counterintelligence investigation begin in the Oval Office. My question is, do you believe as part of that, that to literally avoid compliance with American laws, that our allies were that we subcontract subcontracted out to them? what would be illegal within our intel community, and that would be the spying on American citizens, including a, pres a presidential candidate, transition team, and presidency. Well, what I will do is ask Horowitz that question under oath and see what he says. He's looked at it closer than I have, but I can tell you this. There's no evidence I've seen, credible evidence, that Papadopoulos was working with the Russians no. in any fashion at all. Well, Mueller got Miss Food wrong, the professor. He was Western intelligence. He wasn't Russian intelligence. See, see, this is the point. You've got people on the payroll of intelligence services that are non-Russians that start the whole narrative. And here's the question. Do you think Obama think needs happened. to be questioned in this in the end based well, on what no, we know he now? He just got right ahead of me. Here's the question. This is not just anybody. This is the presidential, this is the Republican nominee for president. Let's Dig into that a little bit. I don't know how much time we have, but this is just not some organization. This is the Republican nominee for president's campaigns being surveilled. They suspect that the Russians have infiltrated the campaign, and they never mentioned this to president, to candidate Trump. Why? My little birdie sources say that there might have been a similar issue with Hillary and that Hillary was treated entirely different than well, Donald Trump. I can just stay tuned. And I can tell no, you. No, I think sure you should say Hannity's over the target again, and you have no freaking idea well, how I, I know all this I, stuff. I, I just say, stay tuned. So here's what I do know that Diane Feinstein had someone working for her that the intelligence community believed was tied to the Chinese government. They ran a counterintelligence investigation. They informed her, and she fired the guy. Here's the question Why did they not go to candidate Trump with this information? And if there was no connection between Papadopoulos and the Russians, how could you open a counterintelligence investigation to begin with? All right. Great points all the way around. Senator, I, I had your counterpart uh, from South Carolina, uh, Senator Scott, on the other day, who's an awesome guy. And uh, he is awesome. so we're going to have you, me, Trey Gowdy. We're all going to go to Halls and, and Senator Scott. <laughs> 
And and I, I, I by the way, I'll pay except I'd probably be arrested when I walk out the door because if I spit well, on the sidewalk right. or I chew gum and drop it off on the sidewalk, I'm going to go to jail, <laughs> unlike these other people. All right, Senator Lindsey Graham, looking forward to it. I, I hope they don't blow this. I hope we don't live in a country where we just have shredded our Constitution. I'm getting worried. Um, you need to do a special on television okay. where you get a bunch of people to lay it out over an hour and walk through what How about next Friday? happened. Next Friday, come up I mean, to New York. It is, it is fascinating. The storyline is unbelievably fascinating. All right, Senator, thank you for joining us. All right, Dee Dee is in Minnesota. Dee Dee is a Linda fan. Let's put Dee Dee up. Hello, Dee Dee. How are you? I'm, I'm a huge fan of yours, Sean. Thank I love you. you, and I, I want to thank you for everything that you do for our country. I've uh, been a fan since Hannity and Combs. God rest his soul. Love Linda. She's awesome. But I love. Love your whole team. You're doing a great job. I do have Sarah a great Carter. team. I agree. Thank you. And then Sarah Carter and Tom Shitton, Senator Graham, uh, Senator Meadows, and everybody. I need to thank them for their service to this country. Um, I'm a public service employee. I'm a conservative, which is very rare for, you know, because we're union and you know that. I live in the great state of Minnesota. That is also uh, uh, one of the most liberal states in the country. And um, uh, it's hopefully going to change for uh, Trump 2020. Absolutely. Listen, they came much closer than anybody really paid attention to last time. We, I would argue, you know, Minnesota's in play. There's no doubt about it. We can win Minnesota. But, you know, look, it's it's a matter of what people want here. This is This is not... This is a choice election. It's sort of like, you know, live free or everything America stood for is going to die. And we're going to go the way of Europe and, you know, other great republics that have slowly disintegrated into failure because they abandoned the principles that made them strong in the first place. But, you know, that's going to be America's choice. It's a tipping point election. Didi, thank you. Let's get to our phones uh let's say hi to melissa california melissa hi how are you glad you called hey sean thank you so much for having me on first of all let your heart your heart not be troubled are the only words that me my family lots of my friends and family also keep us closet deplorables in california sane so thank you very much for everything that you do on your show and on radio i really want to say something to the american citizens of this country, and I want them to think long and hard as to why they vote the way they vote. And if I can tell you as a California deplorable why it is I voted the way that I did, I vote policy, I do not vote person. I directly looked at how this administration would positively affect my family and how the last administration has negatively affected my family. If I could briefly share with you my quick story, if that's okay. Okay, so I found myself coming upon a situation where I needed to advance my education. Um, I'm in my 40s. I'm advancing my education. I'm married with two children. I go to do that, and I did not get one dime to help me through that situation. That's okay. It's my choice. But I can tell you that I got into a very competitive program and sat right next to a dreamer, somebody who Democrats think have bigger dreams than I do or my children. And when I found out that this dreamer did not have to pay one dime for his education and he quit a part-time job because when the school found out he was making any amount of money, 
they pulled back his financial aid. So what did he do? He stopped working because it affected his financial aid. Now, I want every American family to think about that. My husband went and worked 1,500 hours of overtime in one year to keep our family afloat so that we could further the education. I am not unlike any other American citizen family out there staring down the barrel of trying to advance their education or having children wanting to go to college. Sometimes I say, hey, America is the best country on the globe. But sometimes I think that the Democrats have made me regret giving birth on this soil. And that's terrible to say, because this is the absolute You think they think that? The they, they regret it? No, no. If I look at it and I'm staring down the barrel of my two teenagers wanting to go to college and my husband and I are worrying how we're going to be able to afford that when they look at somebody who is an illegal alien and they pay for every bit of their college. They don't pay one dime back. And my husband and I are worrying, how are we going to give this to our kids? How can we facilitate that to our kids? Let me, let me tell you something. California is a preview and New York are a preview of coming attractions. New Jersey is a preview of coming attractions. Illinois, a preview of coming attractions. I keep saying, and again, Melissa, look, you, you, you know, I don't know what to say to the people of California. I think most people recognize the state is lost. It is forever, you know, entrenched into democratic ideology. And that's why so many people are are deciding to move out and move to places like Texas and Florida and elsewhere. And I don't blame them. 13 and a half percent income tax to zero percent income tax and lower property taxes and lower sales taxes and less burdensome regulation and a better business environment. Yeah. My only fear, I have no problem with people making good decisions. We live in a free country is if you're going to leave a state that has been destroyed by decades of liberal rule, then don't go to the next state and bring, if you voted for those politicians and policies with you, because you will destroy the next state that you're going to. And then there won't be a state to go to by the end of the day. And then if they really implement this insanity on a national level, well, what happened, what's happening in New York, California, you know, imagine you pay $2,500 to take a U-Haul from San Francisco to, to Dallas we only have to pay 500 bucks to take it back because you can't because all it's all going in one direction. You're doing U-Haul a favor. They should actually pay you at that point or give it to you for free. That's a great deal. But the reality is we will you, you will see this on a mass scale. They come in with their wealth tax. They come in with their confiscation. They come in with taking away our rights. And I'm telling you, people are going to run. They're going to see the handwriting is on the wall and they will find more business-friendly environments for themselves, their businesses, their families, for their friends. That's my prediction. I may be long gone by the time we get to that, but it will happen. That will absolutely happen if we continue with this current trend. All right, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Hey, my buddy Mike Lindell, look, he's done so much to help me become a better sleeper, and I fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer thanks to his products. And that, of course, starts with my pill. Kennedy tonight, 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. All right, we have the latest on the deep state. Yes, we are going to look at the insanity that represents the modern extreme Democratic Party and their quest for the White House. And yeah, we're going to add up all the costs for you. And we're going to point out how much the new Green Deal would cost and Medicare for all would cost. And we'll go over the failure of Obamacare, give you news you won't look anywhere else. McCabe, will he be indicted? Trey Gowdy weighs in. 
All happening 9 Eastern tonight. Hannity, Fox News. Hope you'll join us. Have a great weekend. See you tonight back here on Monday.